If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, we're going to be in a couple places uh, this morning. We're going to start in the prophet Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 9, a very familiar passage that's read this time of year as we talk about Christ our King. Uh, and then we're going to also look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. There's one in front of you. If you want to jump in or the words will be on the screen uh, as well as online for those of you who are worshiping with us there. Can you believe it? Christmas is less than a week away. Now let me ask you all a question. How many of you have completely finished and you're all done with your Christmas shopping? Mm-hmm. Okay, put your hands down before we get mad at you. How many of you have not yet started your Christmas shopping? All right, there's a couple of you. Blessings, you know. Hey, I bought my, uh, my, my wife her first pro present yesterday at Costco. She's can't, I'm sure she's going to love it. It's, it's a frying pan. Isn't that the first? Is, is it, isn't that what your wife wants uh, for, for Christmas? Merry, Merry Christmas. So let me ask you a question. Who is the actual hardest person to shop for on your Christmas list? I mean, there's always somebody... They either have everything, or they like nothing, or, or, you know, they return everything, or, you know, so who's the hardest one to shop for on your Christmas list? Uh, it, it happens every year. I got the perfect gift for you. I really do. I have the perfect gift for those of you who are still looking, you're still trying to figure it out, especially that, that person on your list, you really want to get that perfect gift for, uh, I, I have it for you. It's right here. This is it right here. This, my, 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 my beloved King Chapel, this is an abacus. Uh, this is an ancient adding machine. Uh, and it's really a perfect addition for both your home and family and for your office. Don't you want to have an abacus? Well, you're probably saying right now, what do I do with an abacus? This is a dust collector, you know? I mean, seriously, buy me a calculator. If you really love me, get me a computer. I mean, Julie, did you ever use one of these as a CPA? You ever see how they, they, they figure out? Would you like to have, this is actually an ancient one from Japan. It's a real live one. Well, you know, you get something like an abacus for a present, you're like, okay, thank you so much. You really shouldn't have. <laughs> really. It's kind of useless, right? I mean, it's, it's ancient. I mean, maybe at one time it was the cool thing to have. Can you imagine? Hey, man, I got an abacus. That's awesome. Can I see it, you know? Uh, can you imagine those who thought it was cool to get an abacus to see the toys our kids get now? You know? They're like, are you kidding me? It's uh, become more of a desk, dust collector. Well, here's the reality. Christmas is the celebration that, that God has given us a king, right? God has given us a king. And that's what we celebrate. But listen, most of us think it's like an abacus. What do you do with it? I mean, okay, God gave us a king, yahoo! But that's an ancient thing. I mean, it's an ancient thing that, well, well, how, how does that really help me? Oh, great, a king. That's just what I got. That's a, isn't that not the first thing we think about as Americans? Oh, oh God, I got a king. Right, uh, that, fantastic, an abacus. All right, well, we're gonna look at today that God gave us a king. But again, Americans have a hard time with kings. It's like in our blood, our red blood. I mean, it's in our story. It's in our heritage. I mean, the reality is, is we don't like kings. I think of the prophet Hosea, uh, that he wrote this about kings. It's very interesting. He says this, Hosea 10, 3 says, For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, here's what they says, what could he do for us? I mean, don't, seriously. Do you ever think, what can a king do for us? I mean, what do we do? I mean, kings that we know are figureheads. 
I mean, kings that we know, they're ancient figures of the past. I mean, it's something we watch on TV that, that maybe they, their time is over. Um, I love the fact that, have you seen the Virginia state flag? Now, don't Google it yet, but after the service, you want to Google the, the Virginia state flag. It's really, really intriguing uh, of that, because that's going to show you what Americans think about kings. The Virginia state flag has a king who's been dethroned, uh, and he's knocked down, he's lying on the ground, his crown is removed from him, and he has this crazy woman with a sword standing over him. This is, this is the flag of Virginia. And then it is going to say in Latin, sic semper tyrannius, which means thus always to tyrants. You want to be a king in America? We're going to, sing, we're going to send our crazy women with swords after you. That's what we're going to do. And they're, they're going to come and they're going to knock you down. Uh, and, and they're going to, hey, this is what we do. You want to have a king or a kingdom in America? Those are fighting words. Listen, Americans don't like giving away authority very, very clearly. We, 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 we really say, man, we'll, we'll somewhat give you authority, but if we don't like you, we're not going to vote for you again, and we're going to get rid of you. And if we really don't like you, we're going to try to impeach you. I mean, this is, this is the American way. Uh, this is what we think of kings. So here we are as Americans. God gave us a king. Great. It's abacus. What do we do? What do we do with it? We stick our crazy women at them. I mean, so, uh, so we are in our third week of an Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices. And again, hit pause. Does not our world feel weary right now? Do we not long to rejoice? I mean, it's time of year. Have you rejoiced yet? Is it so busy that you can't? Are you so brokenhearted that you can't? Are you so undone that you just feel the weariness of the world and the rejoicing hasn't come? Don't you long to rejoice? Uh, that's what Christmas is all about. And into this weary world, God would send his son. I mean, that's the good news. And he rescues us from our weariness. He really does. He does it now and he's going to do it again. All the weariness the world produces. And let me ask you a question. Does the world produce weariness? You know it does. I mean, inside, outside, all, all around us. Uh, but because we know the reality that Jesus did come, uh, we know no matter how weary our world gets, and man, I don't know about some of you, some of you have lived longer than me, some less, but it feels like we're at one of the most weary points in time in my life. But because we know the reality that Jesus comes, no matter what, we have hope. Because he is hope personified. We have joy, joy to the world. God has come for us. We have peace peace with God uh, in this world. So in this world, weary world, we've been looking at God gave us a savior, God gave us a shepherd, and now we're going to look at God gave us an abacus. No, no, no. God gave us a king, a king to bring us great joy. We're going to look at two things this morning, that God gave us a king. We're going to unpack that a little bit. And then we also say that Jesus brings us into God's kingdom. That's the two things. So we're going to look at the promise of the king that was to come in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, then we're going to turn to the gospel of Luke and see that as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. You, you know this. Uh, uh, Handel put this to song, and man, did they, they knock it out of the park. Um, so let's be mindful that no matter if we're in the prophet Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus, or in the Gospel of Luke that recorded this after uh, Christ had come, uh, this is God's Word. It's holy. It's inerrant. It'll never lead us astray. So hear the Word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And by the way, I just want you to know, those of you who love the handle rendition of this, uh, you know that he separates wonderful and counselor. Wonderful, counselor. And the rest are grouped together. And again, I think that they have a better translation here, realizing that wonderful really is connected with counselor. He's the one who knows all things. Okay, little background to that. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. Here again, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, the beauty of the Christmas story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. See the connection. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And just a couple of verses in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the promise that you gave us that one would come who was a wonderful counselor, one who would come who would be El Gabor, the mighty God, a one who would come who would be the Prince of Peace and the Everlasting Father. One would come from the womb of a, a virgin, one who would come who's Emmanuel, a God with us. And we thank you that that prophecy has come true. And we thank you for, for Mary and her obedience to you. Uh, and God, we thank you that Jesus, being both fully God and, and fully man, has come to be our king. And Lord, we, we have a hard time with that because as Americans, uh, we, we don't understand kings and kingdoms. They seem like fairy tales or abacuses. So God, would you come? 
And would you give us the, the clarity of your word and to understand what does it mean that Jesus is king? And what does it mean for my life and for this church and for this country and world to see Jesus as king? Oh God, give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word, whether in Isaiah or in Luke or wherever we go. Uh, God, would you give us hearts that embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? Uh, God, the things I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, the king. Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. You know, the reality is, is that uh, uh, God has given us a king. And a king, what is a king to do? He's, he's, a king comes to fight our enemies and to rule over us. Hey, the kids had some pretty good answers, didn't they? I didn't know what you get. And every time you're like, I'm going to ask the kids, kids this and king's kids, it's like, oh, wow. We're rolling the dice here. I was pretty impressed with them. Um, they did a great job. But does anybody know here, uh, how can you tell how old a tree is? Is, that, is it a, how many, how can you tell? Ben, how can you tell? Very good. So bad news for the tree, you want to find out it, oh, that tree was 28 years old that I just sawed in half, you know? And so, but I think you're right. That's how uh, I've been told how you can tell the rings of the tree. It's pretty cool. But you know how you can tell how old somebody is by their Christmas tree, especially parents? the ornaments look at those ornaments it's going to tell a story it's going to tell you how old they are if they have kids especially if they watch disney movies right and you're going to find the generation of ornaments up there uh, those of you young parents you probably got things like frozen uh, on your trees right uh, uh, those those kind of things uh, us older parents i mean we had things like lion king i mean the good old movies and and Aladdin, and those kind of things on our, our trees. And uh, I, I love uh, the story of Aladdin. Uh, stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So just stick with me. You know, so in Aladdin, you had the, the, the genie in Aladdin uh, uh, with Robin Williams' voice. Uh, God rest his soul. Miss that guy. Um, but, you know, I love the way that he describes his life. Uh, he describes his life as, as this, you know, you know, the genie in the bottle and, and that, that, that story that you rub it right, and poof, out jumps this uh, genie that gives you three wishes. And he describes his life this way. He says, I have phenomenal cosmic powers in a little teeny, little teeny living space. You know, I mean, really, you got incredible cosmic powers in a little teeny living space. Well, the prophet Isaiah declared some 700 years before Jesus was born, He's saying this. Listen to these words. It's incredible. He says, a, a child's going to be born to us, and here's how you're going to describe him. Wonderful counselor. He's going to know everything. He's going to be mighty God, El Gabor. He's going to be God Almighty, right? Uh, he's going to be the everlasting father. He's going to be the prince of peace. And when the angels came and they made this incredible declaration of Jesus' birth, they declared that Jesus, he's going to be the savior of the world. Here he is. That this is Christ the King, Christ the Lord. And they said, here's all this might, here's all this power, here's all the authority. And by the way, this will be a sign to you. You're going to see that a baby will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> Wait a minute. Isaiah, he, he prophesied something so big and so mighty. He, he, what is this? This is phenomenal cosmic power in an itty-bitty living space right there in a feeding trough. Uh, un oh, did it not start with an incredibly underwhelming start? 
I mean, you have this incredible height. And look how it started. There's no room in the inn. I mean, it starts in a feeding trough. It starts in a barn. I mean, it starts with a smell of manure. I mean, it's, it starts as about as a remote from power authority that you could ever get. Are you kidding me? But as a close examination of that child lying in a manger will produce great joy. And I'm telling you, I love the fact that it's great joy that doesn't go away. I mean, sometimes you have it more than others. But if you know him and you know the reality of him, oh my goodness, the great joy that a God would come for us and rescue us and love us and never let us go. So God would give us a king. And that's the promise. And there he was. And this king would be powerful enough to rescue us. It says, El Gabor, mighty God. That's why he's going to come. So the angel of the Lord announces that Jesus Christ, which is, remember, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. It's from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one, the Messiah, the king, that he would come to deliver us. The Messiah would come to deliver us. That all the promises that God has made throughout the years, all the promises that God had made throughout the prophets, they're going to come true. So what do you think about those shepherds? Let's join them for a minute. What do you think they thought about when they went to see the angels? The, listen, the, the, the heavens exploded. They heard the chorus from heaven. I mean, they've been hearing this incredible good news. And by the way, you go into town and you're going to find, you're going to find God's answer. You're going to find God's king. You're going to find everything that God has promised. You're going to find our hopes, uh, all of our dreams, all, all of the promise. You're going to go find and By the way, you're going to find them in a manger. <laughs> really? You're, you're going to find them in a feeding trough. Uh, what do you think they thought? Did they show up and think, all right, let's go see mighty God. Let's go see the Messiah. And you think they showed up and they're like, really? <laughs> this little fellow here? This is the one who's going to deliver us? And they probably thought from Rome. This is the one who's going to be so mighty that he's going to take those mighty Romans and, and take them down. This is really mighty God. This is El Gabor. This is what God had promised from Messiah. We've been waiting for this 700 years. Is this really the Christ? Don't you think they were probably saying, shouldn't he be a little bigger? Did you guys think he'd be a little bit more majestic? I mean, didn't you think there'd be a little bit more than this helpless baby being cared for by a teenage girl? But the reality and the beauty of this is this, a Christmas story, that Jesus is mighty God. He is mighty God. He is that, that Hebrew I've used a few times because I know that Hebrew word, and I want you to be impressed with it, El Gabor, that, that, that Isaiah has promised. He is the Christ, the, the anointed one, who came to deliver us. He's the mighty God who came to rescue you and me. But here's, here's the reality. You know, he's the one who came to rescue us. What did he come to rescue us from? It wasn't from Rome. His mission was not to rescue his people from Romans. It wasn't to set just the, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, free. He, he, he came to rescue us from ourselves. He came to rescue us from being alienated from God, a holy God. He came on a different mission. The Blues Brothers didn't really have a mission from God. Jesus did. He was on a mission from the Father, and his mission was to rescue you and rescue me. His, his mission was to do something a whole lot bigger as mighty God than just throw over those Romans. He was to be the bridge between heaven and earth. He was the one who's to unite holy God and sinful man. He's the one as mighty God, the Christ, the mighty God. And he came 
and weakness. Why? To rescue the weak. Isn't that amazing? So you got this mighty God, and yet he comes in weakness. Why? Because he ought to rescue the weak. He comes lying in our filth, wrapped in our, in, our, in our cloths. Why? Because we are in our rags of sinfulness. Isn't it amazing? From the very beginning of the story, Jesus wraps himself in the filth of humanity to set us free and to cleanse us. Here you have phenomenal cosmic power. And it had to be in an itty-titty, itty-little-bitty living space to find us, to relate to us, and to rescue us. It's the only way he could do it. Mighty God. And yet, accessible God. Think about that. The prophet Zechariah, we do this more at Easter time, but Zechariah tells us that our king would come humbly, lowly, gently, riding on a donkey. You see, we need a God who's both mighty, El Gabor. We need a God who is wrapped in swaddling cloths. We need a God who, who can rescue us and a God who can relate to us. We need a God who, who is more powerful than us and yet a God who doesn't despise us. Why? Because the weak and the dirty sinners like us need a mighty God who's an accessible God. Scripture will call Jesus the King of glory. And when we read through Scripture, you realize that all eternity before he came to earth, he was in a rightful place in heaven and glory. He was rightfully being worshipped incessantly by the heavenly realms. And he left all of that. He put all of that aside to put on humanity, to put on flesh, to come, yes, as mighty God, but to come to rescue and to relate and to be with us. I mean, the king of glory set that aside and became that little baby in the manger so that we could become a part of God's family. God gave us a king, mighty enough to save us. And God gave us a king who is wise enough to rule over us. He's wise enough. Listen, this is his word. Are you following it? He's wise enough. He knows your life. Uh, he, we should follow him. The wonderful counselor. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's smarter than us. He is. Uh, yes, he came as a baby. He grew in wisdom and stature in the eyes of God and man. Blow my mind. That's Jesus. But he's also the wonderful counselor that will lead us. And he's the prince of peace that we can trust him ruling over us. As that wonderful counselor, he is wise enough. He'll never fail us. And yet, how many times are you like me? You're a knucklehead like me, and you go and do your own thing. And you think that your ways are better than God's ways, and that you can follow your own scheme and don't have to listen to God and his word and in the leading of his spirit. He is the wonderful counselor. You want life? He's going to have it. You want it abundantly? He's got it. You want you to become all you could be? Listen, he wants you to be all you could be, and all you could be is in Christ Jesus, the wonderful counselor. He's that good. But Jesus is the Lord, the king who rules over us, and the king who's the prince of peace. Now think of this. A good king, watch this, a good king defeats his people's enemies, and he provides peace in his kingdom. A good, powerful king, that's what he does. Defeat enemies, and then provide peace. And the shepherds, again, must have thought, this is the prince of peace. Uh, this is a king that will defeat our enemies. They were thinking Rome. They weren't thinking necessarily uh, that they were uh, the reality of uh, what he was on a mission to unite us to a holy God. In this time of the story, what was going on around us was a Caesar Augustus. He was a successful king. He was an amazing king. And what Rome was able to do was pretty darn amazing, really history-wise. Uh, and what has emerged, what histor historians would say, was there was something called Pax Romana. And Pax Romana means it's the peace of Rome. And so Rome came... And it brought peace. And here's how it brought peace. It brought peace with a sword. If you got in the way of that peace, you got your head cut off. 
right? I mean, they, they brought peace. They were, they were a kingdom. And if you look in places, there, there's, there's writings that, that will praise Caesar Augustus as a king. They will say that you have brought us peace uh, through what you have done. And that's what a good king is supposed to do. Well, Jesus, the ultimate king, brought us the true peace on earth. But he didn't do it through the sword or through the fist. He did it through his heart and through love. Jesus would conquer our enemies. What are our enemies? He conquers sin. How would he conquer sin? Incredibly, he's the spotless lamb of God. How does Jesus conquer sin? He hangs on a Roman cross and he becomes our sin. He conquers sin by being the spotless one who becomes our sin so that the wrath of the Father could be poured out on him for our sin and not on us. So who does he conquer? He conquers sin by becoming our sin. He conquers death by dying a death that we deserve and being resurrected. And I'll tell you, the greatest enemies we have are sin and death. Check, check. And then, you know what else he conquers? Us, rebels, who want to be king, who want their own way, who want to live for themselves. I mean, you know what the gospel does? It's the good news is we bow our knee to Jesus. and We say, you are Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saying that he's king. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe in the miracle of the resurrection. You shall be saved. Because you're conquered. Because you're not saying you're Lord. And you're not saying the economy is Lord. And you're not saying our president is Lord. And you're not saying that there's a Lord apart from him. If you're here this morning and God has given you the amazing radical grace that you could say that Jesus is your Lord and that you confess the reality that God raised him from the dead, let's dance. You're forgiven. You're free. He's conquered you. And he's conquered me. Wow, Jesus our Lord rules over us in love and in grace and in mercy. What a great king. And again, I think of Hosea. I read it to you earlier. Hosea 10.3. Does this not reflect who we are typically? For now they will say, we have no king. This is what sinners do. They want, to, they want no king. For we don't fear the Lord. We know our own way. And a king, what would he do for us? What would this Jesus do for us? Let me tell you what this Jesus does. He unites you with a holy God. He takes those who by nature are children of wrath and he makes them adopted children of God. He takes those who are far away and he brings them close. He gives to you not only forgiveness and inheritance. He gives you life now and life abundantly. And he promises a secured future. He loves you. He'll be with you. What has a king done for you? Wow. It's amazing what this king has done for us. He's set us free. He's made us alive. Our God is faithful. Jesus is the Savior. Christ is the Lord. He is mighty God and the Prince of Peace. He has phenomenal cosmic powers. All power and authority has been given to him. Ultimate power. And it had to come to us in an itty-bitty living space. In Christ in flesh. Why? To rescue us. Be overjoyed of one who is so high and one who came so low. God gave us a king, uh, not only that, who's tender enough to provide for us. He's everlasting father. He's a good provider. He will unite us to the true father, the heavenly father. And he will give us all that we need. And then lastly, Jesus brings us into his kingdom. The gospel of Mark will start off with the good news that Jesus says, hey, listen, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. I'm bringing it with me. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is here. Now, now watch this. Again, Americans, we have a hard time with this. If he's our king, we're in his kingdom. 
right? And his kingdom is that Jesus has the rule and reign over our lives. So this was what it means, that he should have top priority. Not just equal priority, top priority. Our top priority should be Christ our King and his kingdom. In, the, in, in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, he'll say this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. You know what your prop, top priority should be? Jesus, his glory for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. And no matter what you do, and no matter what stage in life are you are in, the most important thing, because Christ is our king, is his kingdom. And that's where we're to live. We, we are more than American citizens. We are more than Floridians. We, we are more. We are, we are a part of Christ's kingdom. And he's choosing to advance his kingdom through us. So our top priority is not our sales numbers. It's not even our kids' sporting events. Uh, it's not even our marriages. It's not our retirement. These are good things that God wants to give us to thank him for all these good things. The top priority is him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not only that, is it our, our top priority? It also should be our, our prayer, our primary prayer. When his disciples asked Jesus, hey, will you teach us how to pray? I mean, it's amazing. We see you go up into the mountains. You spend like all night with your father in prayer. How, how do you do that? We run out of things to say. I mean, our mind wanders so crazy. And, and, and we don't know what to say to holy God sometimes. We teach us how to pray. So he gives us a little prayer and it's called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, you know, when you pray, pray amazingly because of the gospel, our father, call him father who art in heaven. Just remember, holy be your name. But the first thing you pray for, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't it amazing that Jesus came and brought the kingdom and now says to us, we're ambassadors of that. Advance the kingdom. Our primary prayer should be, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do this? Well, we live in submission to Christ our King. This is really important. Christ is our King. We live in submission to Him. We have one over us. He's Lord of Lords, King of Kings. But we also serve on mission for Christ our King. Let me just say that with a little bit more depth. Where are you right now in your life? Is God, are you home with your family as a, as a mother? Are you teaching? Are, are, are you uh, in a job? Uh, you're probably home, <laughs> no matter where you are. Where, where has God gifted you? Where has he played? Are you law enforcement? Um, you know, are, are you doing computer stuff? I mean, uh, where has God gifted you and placed you? Remember, no matter where you are, the primacy is to seek first the kingdom, and it's to advance his kingdom. His kingdom. It's, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Listen, God knows what he's doing. He's got you where he wants you. And not that he's not going to leave you something new, but it's bigger than a paycheck. It's bigger than a title. It's bigger than you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You, if you're a Christian, you're the one who surrendered to Christ, and now you're to live your life in obedience to him. And now we advance the kingdom, whether we're selling men's clothes or, or, or whatever God has got us doing, where we're helping the golf channel do their things. You can say it's kingdom work. It's all kingdom work. Uh, and it's a primacy of our prayer. And it's our greatest treasure. Um, so when Jesus starts talking in Matthew 13, he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and he says something that's mind-blowing. And this is the last passage we're going to look at, but listen to this. It's incredible. This is Jesus' words. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, 
Then in joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Basically, when you find Jesus, nothing compares to anything else. I mean, whatever you're hanging on to, get rid of it. If you're hanging on to, you're going to miss him. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. It's basically saying, you got everything the world can give you, and you got Jesus. You got everything that the world can offer, and you got him. And scripture would say, what good would it be to gain this whole world and lose your very soul? I mean, you want the treasure? The treasure is him. The treasure is Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and his kingdom. And, and, and undo yourself from everything that traps you from it. Undo yourself from everything the world has to offer. Sell it. Get rid of it. Abandon it. Turn from it. Because he wants to be the greatest treasure and the blessings flow through him. God gave us a king. And it's a lot better than Nabucus. It's a king in a kingdom to give us life and life abundantly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you that you gave us exactly what we needed. We've already looked at your word that you gave us a shepherd to come and to seek and to save those who were lost. You gave us a savior who would lay his life down for us. And God, you gave us a king. You gave us a king to defeat our enemies. You've given us a king to rule over us. And again, Lord, we just acknowledge it's, it's kind of hard. It, it feels a bit ancient at times. It feels a bit abacus-like. But God, we, uh, we thank you that in Jesus, he is the greatest pearl of great price. Nothing compares to him. That we really should sell everything else. I mean, we should be holding on loosely to everything else and gripping on tightly to the one who's come to rescue us. And God, the reality is that none of us can hang on to you tight enough because we're just prone to wander. And we're just prone to let go. But God, we thank you for your grace and mercy that will never let us go. The truth of the gospel is it's your grip on us, not our grip on you. But God, may we be a people that's obedient, that lives for Christ our King, and submission to him, and it serves on mission for Christ our King. We pray in his matchless name. Amen.